This is Keeping Curious, the Genius Shared podcast where each week Liz Strauss or Jane Boyd meets with host Gigi Peterkin to discuss business, life, and all things Genius Shared. Hi, Liz. It's great to get to talk to you again today. How are you? Oh, I am um, a little bit better than yesterday and not as good as tomorrow. All righty then. I'm gonna, we're going to have this volley now every time we talk. So I like that one. Very good. Um, and I'm glad to hear that you're a little bit better than yesterday. I look forward to, I'll have to talk to you tomorrow just to see how much better you are. <laughs> if you can find me. Uh, it's true. It's, uh, it's true. I'm, I'm glad that I get to find you on these days that we have set to talk, but then you get to go off the grid if you so choose. Um, I was sitting and thinking about, you know, what we were going to be talking about today. And I was curious about, um, anything you put your mind to and, and the way that book is structured. Uh, it's one of the things that I love so dearly, you know, in addition to the story is that you've got a really unique structure to that book. And I think my favorite part are those little gray boxed over to the side, actually physically over to the side asides that um that you provide for us and i love that i can hear your voice in them i love that they're all a little smart alecky and i was curious what your favorite aside was in the book to sort of start us off with talking about this and how this structure came to be well i kind of have two favorites and um and um possibly because they happen early in the book and um and so they're the ones I remember first. <laughs> I mean, maybe I have other favorites, and, and I just don't know. Um, uh, one of them is the one about um, baby boomers and their music, and the other one is the the problem with parties. Um, those are those are my two favorites. Um, so can you read? Can you read one of those for us? Um, yeah. Well. The, the thing about uh, baby boomers, you know, uh, my brothers, much like all baby boomers, have a thing for music. It's because boomers fervently believe that they grew up with the best music of all time. The unparalleled wealth and richness of music of the 60s and 70s has screwed up their worldview. It has set the bar for their standards in life. They believe that everything should be that good. That's why they get cranky and disappointed so easily. When boomers get that way, just put on some music. And I mean, it is true because like at that particular period in time, um, electronics, you know, that's a, when the Moog, Moog synthesizer came out and synthetic music started to be played with. And so there was a lot of talent hitting with a lot of great technology and things could happen then that now, um, oh, oh, and the third piece that came in was like uh, heavy issue songwriting, you know, songwriting that was meaningful. Um, and so those three things came together to, to make some classic rocks that are all coming you know, they're showing up in our culture in everything from, you know, uh, what do I want to, big box home stores, mm -hmm. commercials, 
uh, to right? serial commercials to to being replayed by Ariana Grande. I don't know if she's covered anything, but you know, people of her ilk. And um, you know, I I, I was uh, working out, and uh, um, one of the therapists said something about a. Um, California Dreaming was on the radio, but it was a new song by a female artist who made it sound really depressing. And and I just started laughing and said to her, you know, um, well, originally it was actually kind of a more upbeat four-part harmony song that um, everybody wanted to sing along with. That's right. Yeah, I mean... I, she thought it was a new tune altogether, so... Oh, wow, so she wasn't even aware that, that it was a remake. Right. But anyway, the reason I... That's one of the reasons I like the society. The other reason I like the society is that um, our culture is built around people managing down, you know? Like, we have to manage our little brothers and sisters, and we have to manage our own kids, and, and um, I had a friend, and I... Um, he, who used to talk about, you know, how a three-year-old has to learn how to manage their parents or they're going to starve. You know, if they can't get their parents to feed them or change their diaper, they're going to be dead soon. And so I like the whole idea of, you know, managing, you know, not like telling somebody they're cranky, but managing uh, these people who might be older than we are and by just uh, making the environment more to their comfort. <laughs> to their liking. Exactly. How, how have your brothers, have your, I'm assuming that maybe incorrectly that your brothers have, have read the book? Have they no, reacted to that? I, I, no? I haven't sent them the book yet. Um, mm -hmm. I keep, uh, uh, my brothers have read a couple of blog posts that I, like the rare time that I wrote about my dad. It was actually my nephew who sent it to his father, my brother, who sent mm -hmm. me back the link with a note that said, good job, to which I answered, yeah, our dad is kind of a hero in certain circles on the internet, and that was the whole communication. And that was that, huh? And so, like, I think I told you at one point that uh, when I told my brother the first lines of the book, you know, Mm -hmm. I go running every day, and even on the days I don't want to, on those days I go running twice. Um, he just started laughing at the whole, so did my cousin Kathy, by the way, just started <laughs> laughing at the whole concept that I would run anywhere. <laughs> and likewise, my husband, who we've been married for now over 30 years, and he still has never seen me run, um, you know. There's always another bus, right? Exactly. There is always <laughs> another bus. Right. Um, so I, I want to jump over to that other side because it actually, it, it, it's going to provide a nice jumping off point for, for my next question. But, but the party, um, first, do you mind reading that aside? And, and then I want to talk about that whole party scene. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read both paragraphs of it uh, this Please. time. Parties are part zoo, part lion's den, and part Serengeti for me. The self-conscious gene kicks in, and, and wearing a costume is even more self-conscious making. Parties, like most 
other life other experiences in life would be so much less complicated if there weren't other people involved. The problem with parties is that the people who go to them don't start out in agreement about almost anything about the party. Some are there because they want to meet people, some are there because they haven't anything better to do, some because they think the party is real life, some because they want to get away from real life. Cindy Lauper says girls just want to have fun. Try to get a definition of fun that two people agree on. Here's just what that's just one example. I had fun once. I don't remember if it was at a party. Usually I can't tell if I'd had fun at a party until sometime the next day. I love that last line. Is that true for you? I mean, is this very much your experience? Um, yeah, fun? I mean, and, and that's sort of I, like, um, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, I, I read a blog post by someone who was an introvert, um, and she was a young writer, um, but she knew how to um, express her feelings so the rest will come, you know? And um, her, her basic premise was, I'm an introvert, please don't invite me to your party. Introverts really prefer talking one-on-one -on -one and being a room full of people that I don't know just isn't fun for me, so please don't invite me because then I feel like I have to come. You know, and, and, and that, that's part of it, you know, the introvert coupled with the high-ranking self-conscious gene, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this, that, these are very much my own thoughts. So, because you're such a force online, um, you've hosted, you know, very successful um, events. SobCon comes to mind where you're in a room and you're really driving that event. Um, and yet you're still this introvert who really doesn't want to be in a room full of people you, you don't know. You prefer the one-on-one. -on -one. Do you find that people sometimes misinterpret or misunderstand that reluctance or that fear and, and label it as something else? Uh, well, I think they don't, for the most part, that they don't see it at all. I think that um, most people would tell you that I'm not an introvert. Um, but, you know, or there was for a time in my life anyway where people would describe themselves as a socialized introvert. Yeah. What is that? Oh, that just means like I'm an introvert, but I know how to be social, you know, kind of so I look like an extrovert to you. Um, that's how I always took it. That's how it was always explained to me. Um, but I think the key is that, um, you know, why do so many actors, um, why are so many actors introverts, you know? And how can introverts become actors uh, and be in front of the camera, not behind the camera? Well, it's the whole idea is uh, um, it's, it's easy to be an introvert and in front of the camera when you control the microphone. Um, you know, the hard part is when you don't control the microphone because then other people are having opinions uh, but when you control the microphone, you can bring out your thoughts at your own pace. And I have this belief mm -hmm. that didn't make it into an aside, and who knows, you know, if Larry comes back to visit sometime, it might, uh, is that, you know, introverts, uh, well, extroverts think introverts are stupid because 
Uh, they don't talk in meetings, you know, like they can't get their words out or whatever. But introverts think extroverts are stupid because, you know, they talk without thinking, you know. So we need both in the world, but we both tend to think our own way of doing it is right. Um, quite frankly, I think most people don't even know whether they're introverts or extroverts. So, you know, I, I like the definition that Myers-Briggs bring forth that, you know, that we're all both and that mm -hmm. if you want to know your preference, you know, take what you do under stress. Do you prefer to go off on your own and think things through, you know, or do you really need to talk it through with somebody to find out what you think? Mm -hmm. You know, so that's kind of one way to look at it. If, if, because that, the minute you talk about introverts and extroverts, people start going in their own head and wondering which one they are. So that's how you can find out. Yeah, I do like that definition too. And sometimes I find myself at either end of that spectrum. Well, you know, um, and sometimes it's a case like my son says, well, that doesn't help, you know. And I said, well, you know, I think you can be introverts. Yeah, first of all, you're my son, I think you're an introvert, you know, you and your father couldn't sit on the couch for an hour at the same time without telling each other to quit breathing, um, but, you know, there's also the whole thing of, you know, if you already know what you think, the next step is to go talk to other people, so it's that point at which you're trying to figure out what you think, that if you're trying to figure out if you're an introvert or an extrovert, though, you know, when you're really confused, you know, would you rather figure it out on your own a little bit first and then talk to people or not kind of thing? Anyway, that's just my thoughts. That's your thought. Um, I, I, would, I like what you were saying about actors, you know, actors being introverts. And I've, I've heard, I've read, I've talked to a few people I know who get in front of the camera. And part of why they, can, they say that they can do it is because they don't have to be themselves. They get to be somebody else so they can you know be a pretend extrovert if necessary for a while um but you're talking about it from the perspective of owning the mic although i'm wondering when you do own the mic do you have to put on another persona or can you do that as yourself well i don't think it's putting on another persona so much so that you know the the reason that an introvert wants to own the mic is because when you don't own the mic and they just shove it in your face, ask you a question and shove it in your face, you haven't had time to collect your thoughts. And so the pressure becomes very heavy and, and you become self-conscious. When you own the mic, you know ahead of time what you're going to talk about. And so you can bring your thoughts to the conversation. I think that's kind of what I meant by owning the mic is, okay. um, you know, you own the conversation. Okay, so Alice goes to this party in this book. Uh, um, she goes and, to the party dressed as Alice in Wonderland. Dressed as Alice, it's true. This is why I call her Alice. Um, and it, it takes, you know, much preparation for her to um, <laughs> get herself At first, she doesn't even know what day of the week the door. it is. Exactly, and then she realizes she's got herself ready but the party's not ready for her because it's not set to start for a few hours and she's got to sort of kill that time. And I loved the comedy in that scene. You know, I, I could all, I could see it. I could see it so clearly in my head. Um, 
did that ever happen to you? Did you have have you done that? Have you have you prepared yourself and gotten yourself so ready to go and and worked through all of your um I you know well, yeah, I mean and I don't know, you know, whether it was for a party or, or a formal or, a, you know, a what, but I'm sure it's happened to me. And as a result, I tend to, you know, know exactly how many minutes it takes me to do everything and sort of time out my departure to that, which is a dangerous thing to do because you know, inevitably, somebody will, you know, text me and say, can you look at this? Or, you know, uh, call me up and ask me to do something. And I've already got everything plotted down to the comfortable minute. You know, I'll take a nap till 1.30 and then I'll mm -hmm. take a shower and then I'll... And that also keeps me moving because the issue of transitions and, and being able to get lost in what I'm doing. You know, when you're present in the moment, you tend to reach that uh, flow state more often. And, and then, you know, I can be on Tuesday when the world has moved to Friday, you know. So I, I kind of like have to run that balance of leaving a little room for those people, otherwise they really irritate me if they interrupt my schedule. You know, like I, I know that if I do this in this amount of time, I will be able to leave for the party at exactly the moment I want to, you know? Mm-hmm. So do you think that makes you a not spontaneous person? Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it, it's a way that I uh, manage against my over-spontaneity. Um, that if I don't do that, I'm going to be spontaneously, you know, thinking, oh gosh, I haven't talked to somebody and they just got married and calling them up. And, you know, like I said, and I'm still on Tuesday and the world has moved right. to Friday. So it'll run amok then. Yeah, yeah, I just like... <laughs> go running around in all these things I could be doing instead of, you know. Mm -hmm. I plan, I plan um, uh, out of self-preservation, not out of enjoyment. I'm, I'm kind of coming back around. I, that was an aside, but thank you for indulging me. But um, coming back around again to that aside and, and the preparation for the party, and I, <sighs> I did enjoy the comedy in it, but I also... I, mean, I felt the anxiety. Was the, what was the comedy in it? <laughs> oh my God. Well, to me, it was just, I, ha I, I found it, I, I guess I did find it comical that she, she'd gotten herself to this point and she was ready and she's sewn, she's taking these pains of she's sewing the, the apron, this thing and onto herself, something on something pinning on. something on something that's on Somewhere, you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. One. yeah, exactly. And, and it just, you know, it made me laugh and it made me, I, I was able to have a bit of a lighthearted approach or see in a lighthearted way um, all these measures that she was taking, but at the same time, I could feel her anxiety. It was palpable. Um, so I, I liked the lightheartedness because I think otherwise I would have just been stuck with her in this moment that seemed to me like it was anxiety. Well, let's get it perfectly straight. I know that at times I can be incredibly ridiculous. I mean, like, I... I recognize my ridiculousness even when I'm being ridiculous. 
But does it make you want to stop being ridiculous? Well, no, you know, no. I mean, like, I don't know that I can or that I should. I mm -hmm. mean, sometimes the, I, I enjoy this ability to pay attention to what I'm doing and thereby be mm -hmm. aware, um, but not feel the need to edit it. Because um, the editing, and, you know, I guess I figured out at some point that the more... Um, the more I try to be something I'm not, the more I become a really bad facsimile of me, you know? Mm -hmm. Like when you, you know, in the olden days when you'd send a fax and it barely come through and look really ugly, that's what I think of it. It's like, you know, it's far better to just you know, learn to enjoy my ridiculousness and, and accept them and, and, you know, own up. Um, but, but to try and change it or have an opinion mm -hmm. on it, um, it just doesn't doesn't work for me anyway. It just makes me try too hard to be something I'm not. So to quote you back to you, one of the quotes that I've that I've seen recently, um, a Liz Strauss quote: "Living up to what I am is a far better use of my life than trying to become something I'm not." I think is really encapsulates that. Yeah, thought. very much so. Um, and, you know, like everything else in my life, I learned it by doing it wrong for a very long time. Did you pass that lesson along to your son, do you think? Uh, well, you know, as much as you can. Um, you know, there's that thing where, where we don't really believe our parents' experience until we, uh, we reach a certain age and possibly parenthood ourselves. And then there's that other thing that, you know, we don't believe anybody else's experience. On my writing blog, I used to talk a lot about knowing things down to my fingers, you know. You, you have to, like, incorporate them into all your cells, just not just take them in through your ears, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so, well, first of all, he, he was born a, a far stronger person than I ever was. I mean, from the minute he came out of the womb, he didn't need us, you know. <laughs> like, he tolerated us from the very beginning. You know, um, he and, let you tag along? Yeah, well, sort of. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. you know, as long as he knew that thing where babies, you know, when they're born, they don't have a thermostat yet. And so, mm -hmm. so if you go to change their clothes or their diaper, they get cold and they cry. Well, all you had to do with him is put your hand on him. He knew he was being attended to and he was fine. You know, he never cried when he got a shot. I mean, he. At one point, we nicknamed him Damien because, uh, you know, <laughs> he was kind of like, ooh, we were a little, mm -hmm. a little worried about he knew more about us than we ever would know about him. Uh, and, well, that's true about any kids is they know their parents better. You know, it's self-preservation mm -hmm. to know your parents. But he, um, I don't think he, he worried as much as I did or, or when we talk about it now that he's, you know, 30. Um, uh, you know, I talk about things that happened to him when he was in sixth grade and think they would have been sort of devastating to me. And he sort of uh, like already knew who he was and mm -hmm. and just didn't take it seriously. So um, I think some of it came packed in, in his brain already that um, he was different. I remember that once um, he was actually doing some writing uh, for the school newspaper in sixth grade, and uh, we, were, we were conversing via email. Um, 
because I had started traveling and mm-hmm. um, I remember explaining to him the whole idea of, you know, school is a small universe and when you get to high school it'll be a slightly bigger universe and college will be even a bigger universe. And then, you know, after college is even a huger universe. And, and so, you know, feeling different in sixth grade can seem like a big deal. But the more you get into a bigger and bigger universe, the more you're going to find people who are different in the same way you are and who care about the same mm-hmm. things you do. And, um, you know, I had this experience in high school where at our high school, um, the one of the worst things you could do is wear white socks. I mean, for anything other than gym class, do you know, like okay. you, they, you just white socks were just like a, you. It, it just meant you you were a hick and a, you know you a little know, bit of a square. No worse. Worse. You know, okay. Like just. Uh, I can't even come up with a word that 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 even says it. Um, mm-hmm. But then uh, I ended up. Uh, my best friend and I, we, her parents would give her the car when she was fifteen and a half, as long as she said I would drive, and so we could put two hundred and fifty miles on the car, going to the library, you know, which was two miles away. <laughs> you know, right. we just go up to Chicago and see people we knew there, and, and so we ended up hanging out with some friends who lived in Chicago and, and you know, one of the groups w- was a bunch of uh, Chicago-like uh, kind of greaser types and, mm-hmm. and like that, um, that one Michael Jackson video where he wears the slightly short jeans yep. with the loafers and the white socks, mm-hmm. they were all like that and, and they were the cool kids. And right. that was my first experience of, and I actually think I wrote about this on my writing blog too, was, you know, starting to realize that, that cool is just a definition of the group you're in, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and that was a great learning, but Eric always had his own sense of cool, so, um, mm-hmm. you know, I feel more like he should be advising me. And sometimes he does. <laughs> and sometimes he does. It's true. So there's there's no universal. I'll have to uh, try to impart that to my kids. I think I have tried already, but at 11 and 9, they're not quite taking it in. But there is no universal litmus test for cool. It's sort of uh, well, I, depends I, on where you are. I did find the, the linear path of the ever-growing universe helped made a difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how I finally landed on one of, like, the quotes that everybody seems to like is that, you know, the world can't decide your value because, you know, the world won't come together and hold a meeting to decide if you're truly <laughs> valuable or not. It's up to you mm-hmm. to decide your value and then show that to the world. I do like that one. You're right. That is a good one. I, I also like this other one that, that came to mind when I was thinking about the party scene which is fear can't beat you but if you don't admit your fear you will defeat you and i love that the layers that there are to that quote um when did you have to start well now okay um (laughs) (laughs) what um 
what were your earliest fears do you think that you had to admit to yourself or or you'd be stuck or do you think you've just always been able to do that and you just don't know no no i mean uh, I, I was very afraid that um i didn't belong uh, that um you know i wasn't popular and even worse that my mother would find out there was a moment that I was worried that my mother would find out that I wasn't popular because one time I told her I wasn't popular and she said, oh, of course you are, you know, and that just <laughs> was like, whoa. Um, <laughs> she meant well, I'm sure. She meant well, you know? exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, sure. And I've, you know, I found my own place to be popular. Um, but, you know, the upside to that was, you know, it's, it's, it's our fears that build us, you know, we, we learn to solve mm -hmm. our own problems. If we don't, you know, then we become needy pink. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, we, we become used and beat up by the world if we don't learn to face our fears. Uh, we attract uh, negative people who take advantage of our fears, you know, along the way. Uh, but if you if you face your fears, you become an expert in solving that problem, and mm -hmm. in some ways, you know, you, you can then turn around and show others how to face those same fears. You know, sorry, I keep yeah. saying you know, but you know, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I think that maybe we tend to think as as we get into adulthood, and you know working life, whether we're look, working for ourselves or working for someone else, I, I think we tend to think we've left these behind with our adolescence. And I'm finding more and more that, you know, some, some of it's just like heavy, ugly old luggage. You just keep carrying it around with you because you haven't learned how to put the bag down. Um, when you're running leadership workshops, are you, are you surprised or what's your reaction when people sort of have those aha moments that fear is in fact what's, um, often holding them back with their business and with their business growth. It's, it's not the lack of a business plan, which is what people tend to say when they show up, at least when I've talked to people. If I just had a business plan, my business would be great. And it's yeah. usually so much deeper and richer than that. Well, there's a reason they don't have a business plan. And it has more to do mm -hmm. with fear. Um, well, you know, I, I think where I'm lucky, you know, when, in having been, you know, a little bit more than just a little bit different. Um, that I took on a role as an observer very early on and and finding out how the world worked and why the world worked. So I, I've ended up in a place where my habit is to think things through um, and to come to my own answer and then maybe I'll read what somebody else's answer is and. And more often than not, I find out that, oh, they think that too. Um, you know, but I, I can't read a book to find an answer. And I think so many uh, of us uh, do kind of like, we think we're supposed to get up, you know, go to school, uh, at a certain point meet somebody of the opposite sex, uh, then about the same time everybody else does, we're supposed to get engaged, and then we're supposed to get married, and then we find ourselves in a marriage that we didn't even want, you know, kind of thing, because we didn't actually stop and think about it along the way. And in the same way, um, you know, when you're a kid, 
you think that parents have all the answers and and so when you get to be a parent you sort of carry on with that that you think you're supposed to have all the answers and you never really stop and think about that and so like from the time I started teaching first grade um, you know even as the teacher uh, I would say to them you know I've got a headache today and uh, and you know how your mom is on a day she has a headache? Well, that's how I feel today, you know? And so, you know, what can you do to make today go better for all of us? Or, or when my whole class had gotten kicked out of, quote, gym class for the rest of the year, you know, sit down on the floor with them and say, so how do you think um, your gym teacher feels about that and how do you think I feel about that and to talk it through because we're all capable of thinking even at six years old um, capable of bringing what we know about the world to a situation but we're not often asked to bring what we know to the situation we're asked or we have in the past been asked to go find out what other people know and bring that to the situation so so it doesn't surprise me that people show up with fear. I mean, the whole thing that when I started thinking about fear and, and you know, the litany, you know, the whole um, Dune books and the litany against fear, uh, fear is the mind killer, um, uh, that and I started to to really think about it and what do I know about fear and, and come to the conclusion that fear and trust can exist in the same environment. Um, well, just most people wouldn't spend the time I spend. I used, I used to say in college, I, I worry about things that, that other people don't even think about, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of what now me is what I bring to the party you know when I was little it's what made me not belong but now it's what I bring to the party you know? mm -hmm. do you think people think you hold them to a higher standard or do you think that and and are you holding people to a higher standard I, I guess what I'm wondering is I'm I'm now I've seen you really stop and think and I know the thought that you put into things before you stand up and you open your mouth. And so many of us are just reacting, especially we introverts. I'm talking while the thoughts are forming and and I've been stopped, you know, by you and by others. Is, is that really what you mean to say? Is that really how, how you want to phrase this? And there's a temptation to say, wow, she's holding me to a really high standard or is it more just, I don't know, what is it? <laughs> Well, that particular kind of example is uh, uh, more a case of, you know, the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell about ourselves um, really become our lives. So when, when I hear somebody say, you know, I'm just not really good at doing that, um, I... I I'm often inclined to say, well, how do you know that, you know, or did you just decide that, or have you always just been afraid of that, or, you know, and and what makes you think you could never be good at that? In fact, I was writing something to that effect last night about, um, you know, 
yeah, tell me you can't do it and tell me often enough and um, uh, you might convince me, but I guarantee you'll convince you. Um, you know, and, and it seems like um, I feel so good about being able to, to know how to get rid of those things, how I got rid of those things in my life, you know, of, of my the original, you know, episode one, the replacement child story that it really just took me sitting down and saying, I don't want that to rule my life anymore. And, and it was gone, you know, like, wow. And, uh, you know, some of the people I've, uh, I've kind of coached along that way. Um, I remember Molly Cantrell Craig uh, came to me one day and said, you know, I didn't get it at first, and it takes a while till you get it, but I got it now. And like, wow, you just can't explain it to somebody because the words just mean the same. Um, but... You just have to quit telling yourself you're not good at things. And um, so it's more out of a sense of joy than a sense of expectation. It's more out of a sense of, you know, kind of taking the role of the authority figure and, and both challenging and giving permission to not do that anymore. You know, it's like, do I expect everybody to not do that anymore? Well... I don't think I go in with an expectation, although I have found that um, if uh, if we can talk for about an hour, I can surely make you want to give it a try. I, you know, um, that because I don't think we want to hold on to our demons. I think it's um, a case of, um, at one point, a, a, a guy I, I knew really well, um, knew an 18-year-old girl who was living with her father who was not treating her well. And he came to me to ask me why I thought that was happening. And, and you know, why do we put up with situations where uh, we accept bad stories about ourselves or we live in bad situations? Um, it's because there's some sort of payoff, you know, that... Um, well, if I tell you, I, you know, maybe if I tell you I'm bad at this, you won't expect things of me, and then I'll get to fly under the radar, and I won't have to see, you know. If I don't try, I won't have to know I failed, you know, that kind of, to the, um, I won't have to have you watch me learn, or whatever. Um, you know, if, if I leave my dad who's beaten on me, you know, what if I go to all the trouble of, of, of getting up the courage to to make a stand like that, and I find out that you know what I get to is is not better, but in fact worse because now I don't even have the you know sort of love that I had where I was. Now I'm totally all alone. You know that there's that fear, and so. You have to have the trust in yourself to, to break down any other fear, I think. And, 
And most of the reasons we don't trust ourselves are based in like little kid logic and stories we learned, you know, before we were even of an age, you, you know? I mean, most of the stories I knew about myself since my brothers were so much older um, were from school. So, so when my cousin came to live with me, <laughs> Uh, the, the year I was 12 and she was 13 uh, for a year. Um, and then in our adulthood, she starts telling me stories about who I was. Um, it's like she has a way nicer opinion of me than I had of myself, you know? And so we buy into these stories and then we never go back and look at them. And, you know, quite frankly, whatever humiliated me when I was 10 years old, well, I'm... I'm not 10 years old anymore, and and if somebody wants to scare me in that same way, I can stand up for myself now, you know? And that's the kind of thing I try to do, you know, to do, you know, I don't have time to, and, and I think it's going to be like three hands in the butt if I say to you, now, disclaimer. I'm about to say something to you so that you reconsider what you just said so that you feel better about yourself, you know. That's not nearly as powerful as saying, stop right there, don't ever say that again, because not only is it not mm -hmm. true, it makes you think less of yourself. That's kind of unforgettable, and, and you'll either accept it or you won't. And and if you can't get past your fear to say, hmm, what did you mean by that, then right. maybe you're not ready to hear it anyway. Mm -hmm. But you will remember it. Um, it is unforgettable. I've seen that happen. Yeah, well, as, so as I, Jane says, everybody has their Liz story. Everybody has their Liz story. I think this is a, a lovely place for us to have the segue then for anything you put your mind to and um, and what people can can think about and put their minds to this week until we meet again. Yeah, well, I'm kind of thinking about um, the, the, the basis of fear, and I don't even know, I know we talked about this before, I'm thinking about walking into a room and, you know, like a typical fear is walking into a networking event. Um, uh, you know, whether it's a, a mixer, you know, at school or, or the night before a conference or the last night of a conference or whatever, a place where you're going to be in a room full of people um, where you don't feel like you know everyone. And, and, uh, and I would like to say that one way to get past your fear is to, um, instead of uh, looking at a them, it's a them against me kind of game, which is sort of what we do, um, to, to um, quit walking in as a hunter, you know, I've got to find, I've got to hunt and find those people who will be my friends, I've got to hunt and find those people who will do business with me, um, to, to walk in with a little more... Um, opposite of disingenuous, ingenuous, uh, open kind of view to s trust yourself to say um, to someone, 
If I were trying to make friends here or, or looking to connect with people I could do business with here, um, what advice would you give me? Because that immediately turns the person you're talking to into someone you trust, not someone you're afraid of, and, and allows them to be your advisor um, and not your prey. Right. Um, so, you know, to, to take on a, new events in that way whenever you can might be a good idea. I like that. So guys, think about that and um, don't go hunting when you go into a room. <laughs> I like that. Thanks again, Liz, for the, um, the thinking and the wisdom and uh, letting me get inside your head a little bit again this week before you come back into mine. So have a great one and thanks for talking. See you next time. See you next time. Bye-bye, right. everybody. Keeping Curious, featuring Liz Strauss and Jane Boyd, is a product of Genius Shared and Genius Shared Press, produced by Genius Shared, hosted and edited by Gigi Peterkin. To learn more about Genius Shared products, including the Keeping Curious podcast, visit Successful-Blog.com.